You're listening to a sermon from Midtown Presbyterian Church in Phoenix, Arizona. If you'd like to learn more about Midtown and its ministry, please visit us at midtownpres.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. I don't know if you've ever got one of these. Uh, it's an invitation. Uh, an invitation is a fun thing to get. Uh, there were a bunch of people who got an invitation in 2017 to the White House. Those people included Stevie Wonder, George and Amal Clooney, Lena Dunham, Chance the Rapper, Paul McCartney, Bruce Springsteen, Dave Chappelle, Gwyneth Paltrow, Usher, Robert De Niro, George Lucas, Chance the Rapper, Tom Hanks, his wife Rita, Christy Teigen, her husband John Legend, uh, David Letterman, Meryl Streep, Tyler Perry, Magic Johnson, Lorne Michaels, Chef Andre, Jose Andres, Anna Wintour, Olivia Wilde, Jason Sudeikis, Joey, Jay Farrow, Usher, Whale, and Kelly uh, Rowland, uh, TV personality Lala Anthony, Nick Jonas, and Beyonce, Jay-Z, Oprah Winfrey, and Bradley Cooper at the White House. Imagine getting the invitation. What would you be willing to give up to make it to that party? For a chance to meet Chance, the rapper. I mean, right? <laughs> right? I mean, what, what would you do? There's Beyonce. I mean, you are at the party, a feast. Imagine how good the food is, right? The food has just got to be extraordinary. I, I read in Isaiah 25, just here, there's coming this day when there's going to be this meal, this marrow-filled meat, this really aged wine that's been filtered. I keep finding myself going, is it Cabernet or Merlot? That's what I want to know. Which, which wine is it, Lord, will you be serving? A Bordeaux, a Burgundy, what? What is it? But what would you give up to say yes to that invitation? Would you pray with me? Lord, uh, we thank you. Uh, we thank you for the gift of feast. Um, we're all in this room as people probably who have experienced feast at some point in our life. And we certainly pray for more. Um, it's a wonderful way to celebrate the goodness of your creation, uh, the joy of, of good food and wine and family and friends and joy. We thank you that you are a lavish, super abundant God. And we pray that you would meet us now. We pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. God, we have an ability to have really hard hearts before you. Uh, others too. Uh, we have the ability to have ears that are kind of stopped up, eyes that are occluded and cloudy. So we pray that your Holy Spirit would come and soften our hearts that we might be open to whatever you want to say to us. We pray that you'd open our ears and our eyes, and we pray that your spirit would be doing a work in us. We recognize who you are and who we are not, and we pray that uh, your spirit would come. We lift all these prayers up before you in the presence and in the wonderful name of Jesus, by the power of your spirit. Glory to you, O God. Jesus is at a party uh, thrown by a Pharisee, which may surprise you, but in the Gospel of Luke, uh, Jesus takes invitations from the Pharisees. Pharisees get a bad rap, uh, not undeservedly so in the Gospels because we meet some really interesting Pharisees, but Pharisees are people that uh, we as Christians probably would have liked because they're people who try to be faithful to God. They really try to take Scripture seriously. So I don't think Jesus had a problem with all Pharisees, but he certainly had a problem with cer certain Pharisees. Uh, Pharisees were people who really tried to love God. They read scripture. They were trying their best to figure out what this meant. And Jesus, knowing what we know about the engagement he has with Jesus, Jesus even goes to the house of a Pharisee. 
well, that's good news for me. Maybe he'd come to my house because I can be a jerk. So maybe he would come to my house if I threw a party. That, that would be awesome that he'd be so gracious to come to my home. So it's at this feast, uh, he says to the host, hey, you know, when you throw a party, don't just invite your friends and your family and rich people because all those people are going to pay you back. Don't, don't, just, don't just do that. He, he actually says these words. He says, when you're going to throw a party, um, make sure that you invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, because you'll be blessed, because they can't pay you. It means someone else will. So one of the dinner guests responds to it by not actually listening to it, or maybe trying to ignore it. Listen to what the guest says. The guest says, blessed is anyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. That's not what Jesus just said. Jesus just said, invite the poor, the lame, the blind. That's what he said, but this guy's kind of like wants to ignore that statement. Blessed are those who get to eat bread of the kingdom of God. And I would say amen to that statement, but were you not listening? Well, that's intriguing. Maybe it says something about us as hearers. We have an ability to kind of take what he says and then move on to the direction we wish to go on. So our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke. We're in the 14th chapter, starting at the 15th verse, going to the 24th. Listen to the word of God. One of the dinner guests, on hearing this, said to him, Blessed is anyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus said to him, Someone gave a great dinner and invited many. At the time of the dinner, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said, I bought a piece of lamb, and I must go and see it. Uh, please accept my regrets. Another said, I, I bought five yokes, five team of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I've just been married, therefore I cannot come. So the slave returned and reported this to his master. And the owner of the house became angry and said to his slave, go at once out to the streets and the lanes of this town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the slave said, uh, what you've ordered has been done, and there's still room. The master said, then go out into the roads and to the lanes and compel people to come in so that my house may be filled I tell you that none of those who were invited will taste my dinner. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It, it, I don't know if you picked it up, the double invitation. Right? So in, in our place, right, we typically invite someone, they come to our house and they wait till dinner is ready. But you know, they didn't have like ovens and timers and they couldn't say like everything's gonna be ready at X time, right? So they would invite people, but it's it's in the town, it's in the neighborhood. It's like they get everything cooked, everything, everything's ready, they're doing their best to keep it warm, then they send everyone out and say, okay, it's ready, come. Now, this past December in Christmas, I decided to cook prime rib in a brand new way. It was way cool. It involved a blowtorch. I kid you not. It involved a blowtorch. I took a blowtorch and I just torched the whole outside of this prime rib. I did. And then I cooked it at 250 degrees. Because I watched this guy named Tom Keller, who's like an amazing chef, do this. I thought, this is so cool. So our guests arrived, and dinner was going to be served at 2, and then hopefully 3, 
and then hopefully four, and then hopefully five, and then hopefully six, and some, I guess, just physically couldn't make it that long. <laughs> and at seven, it was done, five hours later than it should have been cooked. Because they forgot in the video to say stuff like, if your meat is a bigger size of meat, it's going to take longer, which would have been nice. And if I had read the directions, maybe I would have picked that up, right? <laughs> and I will tell you that Tom Keller was right. It was amazing. But that's what the guy is saying. Hey, go tell everyone it's ready now. It's all done. They didn't have to sit in that guy's house for five hours and watch football and go, when the heck is the frickin' meal going to be done, right? So the meal's going to be ready. And here's the amazing thing. It's a great feast. Uh, I can't come. What? You see, I bought some land, and I need to go check it out. Now, I don't know. Maybe that's a real excuse. But here's a theory for me. Typically, when I buy land, I go see it first, and then I buy it. I don't buy it, and then I go see it. That's just me calling me a little crazy, but that's the way I go about buying land. And I've only bought one house. I don't buy the land, right? So, so that's me. I mean, that's what I do. But you know, maybe this is a legit thing that's happened. But then my second thing would be, OK, so if you bought it, now you need to go see it. I mean, if you own it, you could wait till tomorrow. All right, maybe you haven't seen it, but tomorrow or the next day, I mean, it's a feast, baby. Like, it's a feast. Go to the frickin' feast. Please accept my apologies. Possessions. Possessions are amazing things. What we own sometimes has some ownership over us, does it not? You, know, you walk into my home, you'll, you'll be able to figure out some things about me, what I like. Or at least you'll be able to figure something out about the two of us what we like. And, and sometimes possessions can be a thing that can be something that we use as an excuse to not be with God. Right? Well, see, I got this motorboat. I don't have a motorboat. If you do, tell me. If I got this motorboat, right? Or, or I've got this car, or I've got this place up in Flagstaff, or, or whatever those things are. In my case, I got these books, you see. And, and the the problem is those things can get in the way of being at a feast. I don't know what you own that maybe owns you, and if we're really honest, it doesn't own you. You just are really into it, so am I. And those are really lousy substitutes for missing a feast. Just think of your favorite possessions. What are those puppies? What are those things you're just like, yeah, that car. Yeah, that I don't know what it is for you. A grill, a, a guitar a painting, your music collection. Jesus offers you a feast. And it's so easy to be distracted by things, things that we forget to be in the presence of God because of things. Hey, I just bought some land. I need to go see it. Please accept my Next guy says, uh, I've just bought five team of oxen. That's 10 oxen, because a team is two to a team. And I need to go try them out. I don't know about you, but every car I bought, I have, I have bought seen. And I've driven it before I bought the car. You know, it's like, I, it's still like, really? OK, well, and maybe this is legit. I mean, maybe somehow some friend goes, you just got to buy it. Trust me, you'll go see it. it may, you know, OK, well, that's good, too. Do you have to go now? Do, do you have to go now? 
It's a feast, baby. It's a feast. <laughs> Frickin' feast. Man, there's wine. There's, it's, it's all done. This guy's good. It's a really great feast. Time. Your work, your leisure. Those things can claim. Right? I've got to get ahead in my job. I, I, I need to give it more. I just need to give it a bit more. My job is my thing. I got to be the best at it. I got to keep moving up the ladder. I'm not saying that's bad. It's just where's the priority level? Is it distracting you from a feast? Only in our culture could I throw in leisure. I'm not sure that's a term that they would use, the joy of leisure. But for us, that would be something we might engage, right? Like. What am I going to do with my leisure? I mean, heck, I could just scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll and, oh, they're doing that. Well, that's interesting. And scroll and scroll, right? I mean, I could spend a lot of time on this. Um, if you ever want to play me in something like Fortnite, you'll kill me. Um, because digital gaming when I was a kid was like this. That's Pong. That's, uh, <laughs> that's how adept I am to digital gaming. But you know, digital gaming can really absorb people's lives. I'm not against digital gaming at all. Please don't hear this as a statement against digital gaming. It's not a matter of doing it, it's a matter of priority. What sucks your time from the feast? From a chance to be in the presence of God. I was chatting with a friend of mine. He said, you know, I'm realizing I'm spending no time with God whatsoever. So I decided I could give up one Netflix a night. So I took 22 minutes every night and I just thought, I'm going to give God 22 minutes. You know? and, and that became, in, in time, not the ceiling, but the floor. Just I can give God 22 minutes. And so my wife and I, we agreed, we're just going to wa not watch one Netflix tonight. And then what's changed for him is he's actually moved it to the morning. He gets up earlier, and he's got little kids, so this is quite an accomplishment. He gets up earlier, and he takes time to just be at the feast. You know, because he understands... He understands that what he does with his work, his time, his leisure, he wants to be in a feast. Third, third guy doesn't even ask to be excused. Did you hear that? I just got married. I can't come. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, all right. That's interesting. So here's the thing to know about weddings in Israel and Palestine of that day. If the guy was throwing a great feast, he would have been aware that there was a wedding, and he would never have thrown it until the wedding and all the feasting were done. If no one throws a feast in a town, in a village, if someone's getting married, because that's a seven-day affair. No one would be so rude as to throw a feast during the midst of some of the best celebration, the wedding. So you can be sure that it wasn't like the reception time is doing this. There's been a wait, and he's well aware that this guy's been married, doesn't need to be told. After this wonderful uh, bit of scripture, Jesus is going to say some pretty hard words. He's going to say right after this, whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, life itself cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Oof. Oof. All right, so work, time, Possessions, relationships. Jesus is not saying that 
wives are bad, children are bad, husbands are bad, parents, whatever. He's not saying that. He's saying in an overstatement. Now, you, someone may be going, well, does he mean that literally? Here's my best answer to that. Jesus says, if your eye sins, pluck it out. It's better to go into heaven than to go in with an eye that's going to be burned. That, he says that. So is that literal? No. How, how do we know that? Because Jesus gave eyesight back to men. Now, if there's anyone he shouldn't have given eyesight back to, it'd be men, right? I think that's a pretty fair statement. <laughs> that, that was a mistake. Women, perhaps, but not men. But he gives eyesight back to men. So I don't think he means literally like, ah, you know, and it's not a three students thing, right? It's a hyperbole. And so when Jesus says, hate your wife, I think, I think he's stating something, overstating something, but he makes his point. I've met people who've said, I worship the ground that my wife sat on, laid on, walked on, and she died and I have nothing. I've sat with these folks. My wife is extraordinary. But I want her to love Jesus more than she loves me. And that's worth it to me. And I know she wants the same for me as well. I will say it's advantageous to our marriage to love Jesus more, because Jesus can put his finger in my face and say, did you take out the trash, Thomas? Right? I mean, he can, he can speak some good words to me. But regardless of how helpful it is to our marriage, that's really not the point. Jesus is not merely some functional way of having a better marriage. He's Jesus, for God's sake. <laughs> right? He's Jesus. And so... So all these things that we have, our possessions, our time, our leisure, our work, our relationships, those are things that can be ways that we say to the Lord, ah, can't come. Can't come, can't come, can't come. Next time. Householder gets angry. I have thrown feasts. I work for an organization. We throw these fundraisers. And you throw a fundraiser, I mean a fundraiser, each plate costs some serious money. I mean, that stuff ain't cheap, and you've rented the place, and people just don't show. And it's like, you couldn't call? You, you couldn't tell me two weeks in advance you weren't planning on coming? You, we paid money for this stuff. Right? You had to slaughter stuff to make this stuff this householder had to do. And he's ticked. And he says this. I just, I can't even believe this guy. I love this guy. And... <laughs> And I've, I've never said this. Go at once to the streets and lanes of town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Wow. Who is this guy? And what I love about the servant, he knows his master's heart so well he can say, done. That may say something to us who have a master who says to us, invite the poor, the lame, the deaf and the blind. That may be something about the way we might orient our money, our time, our work, our relationships. And I, I cast no aspersions on Obama who threw this party that I talked about at the beginning because I certainly have not done it. But I feel pretty safe that the blind and the lame and the deaf and the poor were not invited to that awesome party that I would have gladly have gone to. Now that's unfair because maybe they were there. I don't know. I just feel pretty safe they weren't. And again, I think he's a president like anyone else except one. I don't know if you know this about Jimmy Carter. 
But Jimmy Carter, who did not have what's considered historically one of the best presidencies, though it's getting reevaluated. Jimmy Carter, when he lost, created the Carter Foundation, and he said, what is one of the biggest world problems that exists that we can solve? How many of you have heard of guinea worm? Wow, right? You all know it. Not one of you raised a hand. That's cool. Guinea worm is, is one of the greatest parasite plagues at that time period. I think he took it down from like 30 million to like 14 people who suffer from guinea worm. Because they have worked to eradicate this parasite. Do you know there's such a thing as a parasitologist? I've never heard this term before. To remove a guinea worm takes days from your stomach. Because they have to wrap it in gauze and they have to just like slowly pull it. You can't just like yank that thing out, it breaks. They just have, and so it leaves scars and just opens up all of these you know, all the ability, you've got this open sore, it's not good. And the Carter Foundation did that. And who did he do it for? He did it for the poor and the lame and the sick. No one can pay Jimmy Carter back. But there is one who can do that. There's one who can do that. I love that the servant knows the master's heart and it's done. So the master goes, okay. We got everyone in town. Go outside town, go to the highways, the byways, compel people to come in. Footnote. This word compel, this little bit of scripture has been used badly in the history of the church a couple times. Augustine used it badly, wonderful theologian, but badly tried to compel more in an honest, like, compel way, a group of heretics known as the Donatists back into the faith. During the Spanish Inquisition, the Catholic Church compelled Jews to become Christians. Pathetic interpretation, horrific interpretation of scripture, no understanding of what near eastern compelling hospitality is like. It's like this. Come to my house. No, 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 no. Come to my house. No, no. Come to my home. There's never a time of grabbing a knife or a gun. Come to my home. You're coming to a party. It's this relentless, come on. Because if you go to the Middle East, you'll meet some strange people. Come to my home for tea. You are my friend. Come, come, come to my home. And you're like, what? Come to my home. Here's what you do. Go to their home. Don't ask for coffee. Don't ask for cream. Don't ask for sugar. Drink their frickin' tea. And be grateful that they've offered you hospitality. All right? That's the sort of compelling. Compel them to come in. You and I have the ability to, to, to choose our roles from the story. We can be one of the invited, invitees, and we'd say, ah, property. Ah, my time. Work, relationships, leisure. Ah, relationships. Ah, so sorry. I don't have time. We can do that. Or we can be people who take the invitation. We say, sure. I love great feasts. What sort of wine is this again? I mean, we can be totally into this deal. But there's a third place we can take. And it's to know the master's heart and to invite so this minister tells this story. Wednesday night, they do this uh, kind of midweek service. And this business guy gets up, and he says, you know, gives his testimony. He says, I, a couple years back, I'm in Sydney at, in a place called King's Cross. It's like Times Square in Sydney. I'm at King's Cross. I'm waiting for a light. And there's a tug on my jacket. And I look over, and here's this derelict. This derelict says, excuse me, if you were to die tonight, do you know where you'd spend eternity? And I, and I looked at this guy, 
And I crossed the street, and that question haunted me for three weeks. And I was desperate to know the answer, and I determined the answer was Jesus, and I gave my life to Jesus. Three years later, same church, a guy gets up and goes, you know, I was in Sydney. I was, it was at King's Cross. I'm just waiting at an intersection. This hobo pulls on my jacket, and I look down, and he goes, excuse me, if you were to die tonight, do you know where you'd spend eternity? And I, I went my way, but for days, I just I found myself on my knees, and I gave my life to Jesus. A couple years later, the, this pastor was in Australia, in Sydney. He thought, maybe I could find this guy. So he goes down to King's Cross, and he's just kind of looking around. And all of a sudden, there's a tug on his jacket, and he looks at the guy, and he puts his hand up to stop him from speaking. He says, I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, excuse me, sir. If you were to die tonight, do you know where you'd spend eternity? And the guy looks at him and goes, how did you know I would say that? He said, well, I'm a pastor. And over the past couple of years, there have been two men who have spoken of you. And because of what you've said, they've given their lives to you. And the guy says, eight years ago, I was a drunk. And I'm not educated. And I, and I gave my life to Jesus, and I thought, I could do this. I could just ask this question relentlessly. And this is the first time in eight years that I know that what I've been doing has is, is made a difference. Look, you don't have to be awesome. You, you don't have to be super educated, bright, smart, whatever. But you can be an invitee, invite her. You can know the master's heart, and you can sit down with the poor and the lame and the deaf and the blind, and you can say, hey, 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 let's get dinner. You can sit around with your friends, and you can say, there's this feast. Do you know where you're going to spend eternity? Do you know how you might spend your life now? Here's the deal. I, I can only answer the question for one person in this room. I, I, can only, I can be the only one who says to this invitation, yeah, yes, I'm in. Invitation every day is slipped under your little door. A little invitation that says, come. And you get to decide. It's an astounding thing about God. He wants to compel, but he will never force himself. He offers you freedom and grace. Now, the logic of love is to say, I'm in. And the logic of love is, I can't keep this to myself. That would be wrong. It's a choice that is a daily choice. It's a choice of priority and life and time and property and relationship. I invite you today. I invite you tomorrow and the next day and the next day to hear the good news all over again, all over again. What do you want to do? Please accept my excuse. I'm in. Or master, I know your heart. I know your heart. We do this thing every week here. We do this thing um, called communion. And it's, it's what's known as a foretaste. So if you don't know what a foretaste is, how many of you have been to Baskin Robbins? They got like a little pink spoon, right? If you're in an ice cream place and you can get a pink spoon and you can try things out. That's a foretaste. 
this, this meal's a foretaste. You see, people are going to come from east and west and north and south to sit at the table of God. And we've already been promised it's going to be an amazing feast. Jesus invites you to this, his meal today. If he is your Lord, if you're in need of Jesus, he invites you to come.